Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. We're here, episode number 46, to talk through the September WASDE report. We welcome back Kevin Gonnerman with StoneX. Kevin, good to have you back. Good afternoon, Luke. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you again here today. You bet. Well, you know, as we get closer to the end of the marketing year, uh, which officially is over now, we start to see the final data pieces by the USDA that would complete the 22 and 23 marketing year in these WASDE reports. And so we got a lot of that information today. Even though we're past September 1st, those data adjustments are not yet complete. We will get the September stocks report at the end of this month, which is going to help us finalize that feed and residual number uh, that we'll get an update on in the October WASDE report. So that's kind of the last uh, remaining piece of information that's going to finalize uh, this 22-23 old crop marketing year for us, and then we can focus our attention squarely on new crop 23-24 going forward. So just to give you some context of where this thing's at as the market tries to get its arms around uh, where we're at currently and where we're headed. So uh, that was the September WASD today. Now for this specific report, we did have uh, objective field data involved in coming up with a yield estimate. And so for corn, Uh, That'd be ear counts, that'd be ear weights, those types of things, Uh, in addition to some satellite data. For soybeans, it was pod counts, uh, in addition to some satellite data. So those were some of the things they were using to come up with some objective yield data today. Uh, The other piece that we should mention is that FSA acreage data is a data point they can use to alter or or tweak uh, their acreage number on these WASDE reports. And so they did use those uh, data points by the FSA to make some acreage changes today. So let's just dive into uh, the September WASDE report. We'll start with corn. Kevin, I'll give some highlights and then uh, definitely want your thoughts on uh, what your takeaways were. Looking at old crop 22-23 corn, they bumped imports by 5 million bushels. We cut ethanol use by 30 million. We bumped exports by 40 million. Uh, After seeing some Census Bureau data, they have a better idea of those export numbers. So overall, uh, usage up 10 million, supply up 5 gives you a 5 million bushel cut to your ending stocks number. Uh, Market was looking for a small increase, so uh, not not a big deal either way, but ending stocks for 22-23 end up at 1.452 billion, stocks to use at 10.6%. Okay, new crop, this is where the excitement happened. Planted acres went up by 800,000, harvested acres by the same amount. Again, that's a reflection of FSA acreage data that gets reported by producers, Uh, That data point suggesting that acres were actually larger than what we saw on the June 30th planted acreage report. Uh, Yield, we did see a 1.3 bushel per acre cut to the national yield to 173.8. Beginning stocks carry over from last year. Again, that was down 5 million. Production up 23, supply up 19, and they made no demand revisions to the new crop balance sheet. So carrying everything through, we saw an ending stocks number go up by 19 million bushels to 2.221 billion bushels, projected farm price of 490, and a stocks to use ratio of 15.4%, which is not friendly to the price of corn. Uh, looking at the global 
revisions. Uh, we see Brazilians crop for old crop, the 22-23 marketing year, bumped another 2 million tons this month. They were bumped 2 million tons last month. So they're up to 137 million tons is where the USDA has them today. Uh, other global revisions worth mentioning, Mexico production up 1.5 million tons. And then when we look at exports, both Argentina and Brazil were bumped 1 million tons each. So those were the adjustments we saw in corn today. Kevin, what sticks out to you? Well, I think um, when you look at the old crop, you've, you've highlighted the changes that were made, and you've also spoken to the potential changes that we'll see on September 30th or September 29th, the last business day of the month here, when they release the September 1st stocks report. Uh, Luke, we have been seeing the feed and residual category continue to increase each report as the government has to try and adjust inventories with their balance sheet. And after the January report, just to remind producers, the USDA does not change production totals. It's here at the September 1st stocks report that they'll reflect back if there's any adjustments that need to be made. And it's, it's my belief that they're going to reduce the feed residual category on our old crop demand table by about 150 million bushels. And the reason that you do that is that you reduce the production from last year by 150 million bushels. You're not going to see an adjustment to the carryout number, but it does change the modeling as we go forward. We identified on the on the new crop the uh, increase in acreage, and today the acreage trumped the decrease in our yields. Everyone likes to talk about what they can see, and they could see the stress that this crop has been on since really from the get-go back in June for some parts of the country. And we saw that reflected in our in our yield estimate being down 1.3 uh, bushels per acre. Uh, we saw reductions in the three I states. Illinois, Iowa, both down three bushels per acre from what the estimate was in August. Indiana's down a bushel. And those three states combined then reduced production by 196 million bushels in the last 30 days. But as a nation as a whole, production's actually up 23 million bushels for the month. As um, the rest of the states, you look at Kansas up 45, Missouri's up 34, uh, Nebraska's up slightly at 12, North Dakota's up 48, and Ohio's up 33. And as you mentioned, we didn't make any cuts to demand. I think the market was walking into the corn uh, number today looking for a reduction in the production number. And so we'd have to see some demand destruction to kind of compensate for that. But with an increase in production, the USDA did not have to cut any demand as susceptible as some of those numbers might be. And the carryout goes up, not down from last month. And as you mentioned, stocks to use is 15.4%. And that historically is associated with about $340 to $360 cash corn average price paid to the farmer. And USDA has left their estimate this month at $490. Yeah, I think the, you know, that's obviously sobering as you as you look at that. I think everybody's watched, you know, these weather events come through uh, over the past 30 days and pretty widespread heat, thinking that we've, we've, uh, compromise the crop as it's maybe finished a little bit too quickly. So I think that's the thing everybody's going to wrestle with. It, it, the bucket of cold water on a yield reduction today certainly is an increase in acreage. Um, I know there's been some whisperings that that could happen. And uh, I'm just looking at the state by state 
revisions today, Kevin, you highlighted a few of them and talked about the yield changes, but there's some pretty big changes here compared to um, the August numbers, which would have been derived, you know, really from the planted acreage report on June 30th. Uh, Nebraska leading the way uh, in, in changes of 450,000 acres to just shy, just shy of 10 million, 9.95 for planted acreage. So Nebraska was a big adjustment. You also saw Kansas up 250,000 acres, uh, Minnesota up 200,000, North Dakota 150, Ohio 100. But yeah, the I states actually seeing reductions, Illinois and Iowa both down 300,000. So any commentary on that, Kevin, as we see some some acreage gyrations today? I think we're a little surprised at the uh, acreage reductions in Illinois and Iowa. Um, you highlighted several of the states, but also um, you look at Missouri's up harvested acres up 190,000. Uh, North Dakota's up 140,000. South Dakota's up 90,000 in the harvested corn acres. The August 1st harvest harvested percentage was 91.7%. And with uh, the stress that this crop has been under, there's been some some oh vibrations that perhaps we saw more abandonment or more acres cut for silage so they could still get some feed value out of that stress corn. Well, the USDA used a harvested percentage today of 91.8%. They actually increased the, the harvested percentage just ever so slightly, but kind of in the opposite way in which everybody was leaning. Yeah, I, I noticed that, that the harvested acreage percentage was was higher. So, I mean, you you would think just in your comments there, I mean, your expectation was that number would maybe move lower? Yeah, it really was. Some of the, the drought stressed areas that we had seen in Kansas and even here in Nebraska, uh, people cutting silage on, on corn acres that just Really, they wanted to try and get some feed value out of them rather than just have it dish down in the fall. Sure. No, it makes sense. We see more abandonment there. We would expect that. And certainly that can change as we go forward and, and get more data points. But yeah, I mean, that that is the surprise today. Um, maybe not a surprise because it has been discussed, but to see it printed on paper, you know, you have planted acreage in the U.S. at 949 a million acres. That's a big number. I'd have to go back and look. I think that's probably our largest planted acreage figure since 2012 or 13. Looking back. You're correct, Luke. Yeah, back in 2013, we planted 95,365,000. And then the record year would be in 2012, as you referenced, when we planted 97,200. Similarities were early springs. Uh, we were in the field. We were actually planting corn in Nebraska back in March of 2012. It was dry and warm. Everyone had ready to get to it after the 2011 crop. And drier in the spring wasn't necessarily better this in, in that year. Yeah, you know, we, we've had some conversations in the office, too, uh, as it relates to the eastern corn belt. And I know you've written about some of this, too, Kevin. But really not a lot of prevent plant this year. Uh, these dry springs really allowing people to get the acreage planted and uh, a generally productive June to, to allow those young plants to get going. Seems to be more of an issue in the eastern Corn Belt and in the Red River Valley, North Dakota, spots in Missouri, where we typically see a lot of our prevent plant acres. But uh, those states this year, uh, able to get a lot of those acres planted. And I guess if it's low-lying ground, it's generally going to be pretty productive. I would agree. Well, let's talk about soybeans and then we'll circle back and maybe get some thoughts on you know, what this means for price direction and, and what producers can be doing. 
uh, as a result. But let's hit the soybean side of things first. Um, looking at the adjustments today, uh, we look at old crop 22-23 soybeans. Uh, not a ton of adjustments today. We did see crush bumped by 10 million bushels to 1990. And uh, that ultimately pulled the carryout down by a like amount. So we ended up with 250 million bushels for a carryout figure for old crop. Stocks to use ratio just under 5.8%. Um, looking at the new crop side of things, they did bump the planted acreage by 100,000 acres, harvested acreage up by the same amount, uh, yield down by eight tenths of a bushel to 50.1. Uh, beginning stocks again down 10 from the year prior. Production uh, down 59 million bushels on the uh, lower yield. Uh, we see the supply down 70. Uh, they did cut uh, some demand, which uh, not surprising given the smaller crop size. Uh, crush down 10 and exports down 35 million bushels uh, compared to a month ago. So usage down 45 month over month, um, but ending stocks nevertheless do fall by 25 million bushels due to that smaller crop size on a smaller yield. Uh, gives you a carryout of 220 million bushels, stocks to use ratio at 5.23%. So just purely fundamental analyzing year over year, actually a tighter situation forecasted for this new crop marketing year compared to the year that we're just wrapping up. Looking at the global figures, notable adjustments, there weren't a lot. Uh, we did see Brazil's export number climb 1 million tons to 95. Again, big crop this last year in Brazil. Uh, Chinese soybean imports up 2 million tons to 102, so that's good to see. On the new crop side of things, uh, really the only notable adjustment was a 1 million ton bumped to Chinese imports from 99 up to 100 uh, million tons. Brazilian exports bumped a half a million to 97. Kevin, thoughts on the soybean market? As you spoke to the old crop situation, you nailed it pretty close there, Luke. So not much, not much to say there. Um, when we looked at the new crop balance sheet, the uh, yield reduction that we did receive, those yields came out of primarily Illinois was down one bushel per acre, Kansas down six, Nebraska down three, Wisconsin down four, and Minnesota was down one bushel per acre from the August estimates. Now, we talked about the three I states losing almost 200 million bushels of corn production. Well, they increased their soybean production by 25 million bushels, 11 out of Illinois and 14 out of Iowa. That was kind of offset, though. Kansas lost 20 million bushels of production. Nebraska lost 30. Minnesota lost 15. Wisconsin lost 8. And so that's why we saw a slight reduction there of 50, 59 million bushels of uh, production domestically. And as you mentioned, smaller crops, smaller demand. Um, the yield de decrease did beat the acreage increase that you referenced of 95,000 acres. Um, and there's still some, personally, I still believe that there's still some fluff in the demand picture. Exports are still at uh, 17. 1.79 billion bushels, even though that's down 35 million bushels from last month. If that production number should continue to decline, you probably still have possibly 40, at least 40 million bushels you can take out of that, if maybe not just slightly more. 
And the reason that I mentioned that, Luke, we've uh, you highlighted on that uh, situation back in your producer meetings last winter. Um, you brought up uh, the acronym BRICS, and BRICS hasn't gone away. BRICS has actually gotten stronger, and BRICS has got larger. And that's the, the Brazilian, Russian, India, China, and South African Trade Symposium, the economic group that they have put together. And now they've begun to add additional, additional countries. Saudi Arabia has joined and Argentina has joined. And so when I ask about uh, exports and its possible decline yet, it's not just reflected because of a lower possible production number, but of an increased percentage of business done between the Brazilians and the Chinese. And the United States is, is going to lose market world market share uh, because of these trade relationships. Well, you see that reflected as you start to look at, you know, some of the new crop projections. And it's always sobering to watch the growth path of Brazilian soybean production uh, as they're forecasted to grow 163 million tons of soybeans for 23-24. And just as you look at it, you know, forecasted to export 97 million tons of beans. I mean, Kevin, that's nearly what China imports entirely. I mean, we've seen Chinese imports anywhere from the upper 90s to, you know, 102 this last year. They've kind of plateaued on their imports. For a while there, it was just a never-ending growth uh, trend, really, uh, for Chinese bean imports, but that seems to have flattened out. Uh, the change, I suppose, in the bean market is that the Brazilian production has not flattened out. It's actually increasing. So uh, soybean crush expansion in the U.S. is coming at a good time because it feels like our export uh, share, as you mentioned, is starting to slip a little bit. Yes, that is correct, Luke. And you did mention that back in January uh, when we were together as well about the the timing of the increase in the domestic crush and and its benefit to offset any loss in exports. So what does this mean, Kevin? I mean, as you kind of distill things, uh, you mentioned, you know, the production changes, uh, you know, at the state level. Where does this leave the bean market? Well, um, flat price wise, if I was to look at the futures market, I think you have to presume with today's Today's price action, the uh, speculative community was already long soybeans. They've been adding uh, to that long position. And um, since the August 28th gap higher, uh, when the beans tried to make a run over $14, the heavy selling during the day has occurred from long liquidation and even some uh, short positions coming in. And we saw that here again today, that this market took, took a little bit of a bump on the chin uh, in the first 15, 20 minutes of today's trade on a pretty good shot of volume, indicating we were seeing some selling and some long liquidation there. So I would think that the seasonality in the bean market will continue. We're probably going to work lower into um, into oh the end of end of October as we go into first notice day, or let's say maybe to the first of October. And we get uh, maybe half the harvest behind us, then we should see some harvest lows and perhaps begin a recovery rally. Any type of significant spring type of rally will depend on production problems in South America and um, and really Brazil in an El Nino situation of the weather environment that we're in. The southern half of Brazil, which has participated in the drought that Argentina has had, 
Rio Grande de Sol should have a much improved production number this next year. It's the northeast corner of Brazil that suffers the most in an El Nino. And then there's some reservations as all eyes turn to Mato Grosso, the largest producer. It tends to be just a little bit on the drier side for Mato Grosso, uh, but not a full-blown drought uh, like the Northeast is, is likely to experience. So the production numbers from Brazil most likely are, are going to be above what they were this, this past year with the increase in acreage that you've, you've mentioned um, earlier. That's good color there, Kevin. So if you're, you know, put your put your farmer hat on, you're a producer that's, uh, we're on the doorstep of harvest here, uh, be cutting soybeans, you know, in uh, the Western Corn Belt, uh, well, all across the country, uh, you're bringing soybeans to town, or maybe they're putting them in a bin, they're trying to analyze, you know, that decision. What do you do with unpriced soybeans right now? What are some thoughts you would share with our producers? I'm not advocating storing soybeans until the summertime, but Luke, it always happens. And what I would do if I'm going to keep bushels at home, I would visit with my CVA grain specialist and inquire about the triplex contract. If we could get July soybeans to rally just 20 cents up to $14, there's a possibility that we could net a $14.50 to $14.60 type of futures value using this contract. Now, you must be very clear and understand your responsibilities with a triplex contract because when this matures, there is a possibility that if July futures are above $14, that you will have an obligation to sell an equal amount of bushels. So it's not a type of contract that you would use on, say, more than 20% of your bushels. But if you've got them stored at home, at least you know what your bushel um, inventory is at that time of the year. Yeah, that's been a good a uh, good contract for us uh, to really receive a, a premium type sale, Kevin. Glad you mentioned that. And I think, you know, the other thing that uh, a contract like that's going to help accomplish in this market is it helps you uh, lock in carry, uh, whether it's corn or soybeans, you're talking soybeans. I think we can see some carry come into this bean market, especially if prices work lower. Um, it's going to help you capture that carry and justify the decision to put grain on farm uh, rather than just leaving grain unhedged in the bin and hoping the price rallies. Um, so yeah, I, I think accomplishes a couple things there. So, so good mention. Let's, let's go back to corn. Cause we didn't, we didn't get the the question answered on corn that we just covered in beans, but uh, same question to you, Kevin, we're, we're on the cusp of harvest here. Uh, thoughts on uh, what advice you would provide to producers who have unmarketed bushels uh, that need a marketing solution. Well, the seasonality in the corn market is also lower, Luke. And so uh, today's price action, uh, about the best thing you can say about the corn market, I guess there's two things. One is wheat closed higher. Wheat has been an anchor to corn here for the last 60 days, about the time you thought soybeans would help rally corn. Wheat just continued to decline and just continued to suck corn down with it. And secondly, uh, corn did not take out the August low today. It went back and revisited it at 473 and a half, but we didn't go through it day. I do expect that to happen here um, 
as we make our harvest lows and our harvest lows this year might come a little bit later than what we're used to and might actually come into first notice day towards the end of November. If I had bushels that I needed to bring to town that haven't been sold, so I need to make harvest sales, I would place open orders uh, in a range of $4.85 to $5 on December corn. And here, once again, I would use the extended price contract for re-ownership buying July futures. And if a person is unwilling to or unable to assume that much risk, then I would look at the minimum price contract uh, looking at buying July calls. If I had corn at home in the bin for Jan, Feb, March sales, I'd look for rallies in March futures to $5 to $5.10 to be cleaning up those sales. Now, if you've got December hedge to rise, perhaps you participated in the GAP program or the average seasonal price program. If you do have December corn futures, as Luke has just mentioned, there are significant carries in the corn market that we have not seen for several years since 2020 when the derecho moved through Iowa and removed the carries in the corn market. You would look to roll those out to March or to May, depending on your cash flow needs when you typically want to move corn. Now, the carries today just really aren't there to roll out to July, but there is just pretty decent carries at four or four and a half cents a bushel a month out to the May, and that would be something to consider. Now, here again, if you're looking to make April, May, June, July sales, if you're planning to store corn until you see what the Brazilian uh, corn crop looks like, I would once again use this triplex contract. Visit with your CVA grain specialist so you understand all of the particulars with this contract. But if we could get a 15 cent rally on July futures and take us up to about 520, there could be some possibilities of having net July futures values of 535, 540, something like that. And as Lucas just mentioned in the bean commentary, being able to capture the carry that the market has given us waiting for basis appreciation and the timing that works into your operation to make delivery of farm stored corn. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a key difference uh, this year, Kevin, versus prior years is certainly interest rates being higher. And, you know, there's an opportunity cost associated with corn being stored on the farm, uh, especially if you're borrowing money, you know, to operate and finance your operation. Uh, understand the cash position in farm country is, is certainly good and strong after a couple of years of very good returns. But uh, there is a value to to those dollars uh, as interest rates climb, even in money market funds or CDs, those types of things. So uh, there is an opportunity cost to grain in the bin, and we certainly want farmers to understand that, uh, certainly more so with soybeans, just because you're dealing with a higher dollar commodity. So uh, keep those things in mind as you're making decisions on whether to sell or store. Uh, there is a cost associated with putting grain on the farm. Uh, good thoughts there, Kevin, on, on just producers with uh, unmarketed grain or maybe even uh, some of those hedges that they have on. It's certainly going to be a year where, uh, you know, the hedger and being able to capture carry is going to benefit, you know, those types of producers and, and selling grain uh, in spot market fashion out of the bin, which has really been the strategy that's paid the last couple of years. Uh, it looks like we're going to do a 180 degree turn on that this year, and it's going to be the opposite, uh, at least in the short term here. Um, any early thoughts on 2024 as we kind of wrap things up here? 
No, Luke, I really don't. I think what uh, one one of the takeaways from the the previous marketing year, this was the second largest reduction in exports that the U.S. farmer has faced in corn. And it's not because of a production reduction like occurred in 2012 when our exports declined 810 um, million bushels into 2013. Uh, this reduction this year with the increase that we saw USDA put into the market, uh, USDA supply and demand report today, reduced our reduction to 781 million bushels. Uh, prior to today, it was going to be a new record. And the reason isn't because of a crop failure. The reason is because of increased competition. And the Brazilians aren't going to go away. Uh, you had mentioned it in the comments that we had uh, prior to the recording beginning that their production number was up 2 million metric ton again today after being up 2 million metric ton last month, up 4 million metric tons, 160 million bushels. Here again, it's it's those economic and political relationships with uh, with China and other countries throughout the world in which has opened open doors for the Brazilians. They're going to continue to increase acreage, and uh, they're going to continue to be a thorn in our side. So that's one of the things to be thinking about as you're looking at 2024. Uh, our inputs are going to be down. Hopefully, uh, we've seen fertilizer values uh, dramatically pull back from what uh, from what the CVA producers were were paying this past year. And so, your expectations on December 24 should be in a range of 525 to 550. Rallies are going to really be hard to come by uh, in the corn market. Um, you know, perhaps there might be an acreage war that we can anticipate in February uh, if we can get the soybean market uh, to rally back just a little bit. But I'm not, I'm not um, one of those holding out for six or seven dollar corn. Very good. Yeah, you know, as you look ahead, I think you have to deal with just a uh, recognize the commodity cycle and the cure for high prices is high prices. And I know producers have been hearing for a long time that. Uh, demand is is suspect, and there's some producers that want to question that when they look around at um, maybe like this old crop corn inverse that's hanging around. You know, we're still seeing uh, positive basis values in a few end user locations as we try to get harvest going. And uh, I think for producers to keep in mind, domestic demand is usually quite stable, uh, and that's a good thing. You know, we we just we feed what we feed. Uh, the ethanol plants grind what they grind, and and that's generally a pretty stable. A bucket of demand in those two categories. Uh, when we say demand is is a little bit of a problem, is you know really when we look at export demand, and you did a great job of highlighting that, Kevin, as we look at you know the 22 fiscal year versus the 23 uh, marketing year, and corn exports being down over 800 million bushels. I mean that is incredible, and so uh, that is a change as we deal with you know more competition, as you mentioned, and. You know, low prices will have to find a market and otherwise Mother Nature still holds a lot of the cards. So uh, producers need to be prudent, understand their costs. And when the market gives you an opportunity to sell at a profit, I think we're moving back into the environment where you need to take that. Oh, I would I would definitely concur, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of one of the uh, one of the, the shiny nuggets that you really have to dig for. And in today's numbers is something that we don't speak to hardly at all when we get together, Luke, and that's world wheat 
inventories. They were down 7 million metric ton. And U.S. values were unchanged. Our inventory stayed unchanged. But the importers were down 3.6 million metric ton. Exporters were down two. Uh, El Nino is not good for Australian wheat production. It was down another 3 million metric ton. And the reason I bring that up is feed substitution around the world, displacing corn. Uh, when you got abundant world wheat stocks and the, and the Russians are selling wheat $72 a metric ton, almost uh, $2 per bushel cheaper than what we are here in the United States, uh, we, you, need to, you need to reduce some of those competitive uh, feeding uh, grains and keeping those world wheat stocks down is a benefit. Absolutely. That's a good, uh, that's a good highlight. Kevin, as we look at uh, some of those grains. Well, very good. Uh, Kevin, uh, I sure appreciate your comments and thoughts uh, following the September WASD. Uh, we've got the September 29th stocks report that's coming out at the end of the month, which will help us finalize the carryout for 22-23, specifically around feed or the size of the crop, whichever way you want to look at it. But uh, Kevin, thanks for your time. Been my pleasure, Luke. That's going to wrap things up for episode number 46. We'll see you at the end of this month as we highlight the September stocks report. Until then, stay safe as you get started with harvest. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.